back are usually about 100 ringgit seats, and the ones up here are about 10 ringgit seats. So, you know, if you haven't put it in the offering yet, you, you make up for it, okay? Uh, so, uh, go from there. But uh, we're, we're glad to be here. We have been with you before, but it's been maybe a couple of years. And so you, some of you are new, and some of you may have been here before and just didn't remember us. But anyway, we're glad to be back. We're glad the grace of God that uh, Pastor Craig and his and Ann, sister Angie are back and that they had a good time with their family in the U.S. We want to say congratulations to them as well. You know, their son graduated from university, and uh, so that's a big moment. And, and uh, you know, so they've got one down and two to go, right? There you go. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a big event to have your children graduate from university and to see them. Everybody likes to see their children have success, and everybody likes to see their children do well. And, and so this is, uh, this is uh, a blessing. When, when God allows our children to do well, uh, and then we see that they, our children are following the Lord and, and obeying Him, that's, that's very meaningful as well. And so we we're, we're, uh, celebrate with them in, uh, in that they have been able to enjoy this time together with their son. And uh, then they go next week to their daughter graduating from uh, uh, Form 5 or high school, right? First week in June. First week in June, excuse me. First week in June, and they go to celebrate with their daughter, finishing her uh, Form 5 and starting her university then. And so uh, we're, we're just glad to be with you. You know, we sang earlier about ask of him, and that's, that's important. Ask of him. That is one thing about the message today. We're going to talk about asking of God, and we're going to talk about, look at one of the great prayers in the Bible. And because this is one of the promises that we have is that God is faithful to hear our prayers, a sincere heart pouring out to God and, and God listens to that. He hears that. Can you imagine what that's like? Of all the things in the universe that God has to worry about, you know, keeping Mars from bumping into Jupiter and everything else, you know, and, and uh, then he has to worry about you know, six, seven billion people around the world, and yet we whisper a prayer in sincere heart, and God hears it. Whoa, how awesome is that? 100% awesome. Where's our 100% awesome guy here this morning? Yeah, there he is. No? No, where was he? Oh, he's back in Sunday school. 100% awesome. That's what it is. And, uh, and so, you know, this this is important is that we can pray. You know, I, I've been praying for Malaysia now for a long time. Been praying for Johor now, the state of Johor for six years because we moved down here five years ago. And uh, while we were still in Penang, knowing that we were going to move down here, we started praying for Johor. And we've seen God begin to answer those prayers, begin to see progress in the in some of the churches we're working with here. And so we say, hallelujah. You know, that is a power of God. That's not the power of me. It's not the power of my wife. It's not the power of any man. But it's the power of God that he changes hearts and he opens doors and he moves the church forward. He moves us forward as well and gives us courage and gives us strength to do what he wants us to do. I've been praying for Malaysia. I think, really, I, I mean, it's, Malaysia is a hard nut to crack. That's what it is. It's a hard nut to crack. But I think God can open up Malaysia and, and can make an impact here. 
Actually, many people don't realize this, but I, I, I've been blessed. I get to travel all over Malaysia. I've been in all 13 states and all the federal territories, and I get to visit churches here and there and wherever. And so I've been blessed in that. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that the church in Malaysia is actually growing in a fantastic manner. In fact, even though there are, you probably know there are a lot of restrictions on the church in Malaysia, and uh, the folks up in Putrajaya would rather the church not be here. They would rather us not be meeting this morning, and so forth. But despite all the laws that they can pass, despite all the restrictions that they can put on the church, God's church is growing, and Putrajaya is shaking. <clears throat> in the same way, I met Karen here this morning. Praise the Lord, you're here, Karen. Karen from uh, China. I tell you what, we, we read recently, China trying to crack down more on churches, make it tougher and harder, and tearing down this building and dynamiting that building and so forth. And at the same time, the church in China is growing through prayer and through sincerity of heart. And Beijing is shaking. Beijing is shaking. And so these, this is what the power of prayer can do. And, and I pray for the day when we're going to see Malaysia just wide open and we're going to see some uh, very high officials changing their hearts, changing their hearts. And, and that can happen. We look here in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to look there. And uh, verses 21 through 28. And uh, see that. <clears throat> God's word reads like this. I'm reading from the New International Version. So your, your words may be a little bit different depending on what translation you have. It says, When the man Elkanah went up with his, all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah, his wife, she did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy, this is Samuel, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. He will live there always. Her husband said, do what, best, what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli the priest. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now, I tell you what, when we see this lady that committed and that dedicated that she would be able to give her son, maybe three years old, four years old, the oldest, and she was able to take him to the center of, uh, of Jewish worship at that time. 
and leave him there at the temple, or what they had, it wasn't a temple at that time, but the, the uh, tabernacle, and leave him there to be raised up in the Lord. That takes commitment, and that takes dedication. I know uh, my wife and I, we, when we were living in Indonesia, we had to send our son, 13 years old, off to go to, uh, I guess that's Form 4 or high school. Uh, his his uh, uh, ninth year of school. I had to send him over to Penang to go to school there. That is not easy. That is not easy. Uh, boy, I didn't plan on that. It just, uh, you know, these things come up. Yeah, old memories, you know, old memories. And, uh, but every semester, you know, He'd come home, and he'd be home for a couple of weeks or so, and then we'd have to send him again. And it never got easy the second time, the third time, the fourth time. It never got easy to give up your child and send him away like that. I know another group uh, uh, serving the Lord, and uh, that group used to, they don't anymore, they used to, they would send their children off at six years old. Their families were serving in Kalimantan, serving different places, and they'd send their children off to Penang, to this Christian school there, at six years old. Whew. By the grace of God, I couldn't, I don't know if I could have done that. And here, Hannah, we see Hannah. She is giving up her son that she had prayed for, that she had waited for years to get this son. And here he is, three to four years old. She says, I'm giving him to you, Lord. Wow. That's something, isn't it? That's something. And so, it's what she did. We look back. We look back here and we see here. This, is, this story, 1 Samuel, this book is a, is a history book, actually, because it tells a lot of the history of Israel and, and their relationship to the Lord. And it tells about how they, they grew in the Lord. But it also gives a picture into the nature of God's relationship to his people. God wanted that close relationship with the people of Israel. Just as he wants a close relationship with us. He doesn't want to be a far off God. He wants to be in our lives. He wants something to be personal with us. And so uh, this is a picture here into the nature of God's relationship to his people. But it's also a story that shows that God is in control. He is able to bring his people to him, back to him. And to uh, even when people have sometimes wandered away. And as, as Pastor Craig mentioned a minute ago in prayer and everything, yeah, even when we wander away, God is ready to bring us back. Always ready to receive us back. And so this is part of the story of 1 Samuel. The Lord was always working for the supreme good of Israel. And he's working for the supreme good of us. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can trust him. You know, sometimes we, we make a, you know, a contract or a deal with somebody and we say, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust this person. You know, we sign this contract. We have all these legal words in there and we try to make sure it's, it's there so he, you know, whoever we're making a contract with cannot take advantage of us. And yet, we just hope this person we're making a contract with is going to carry through, you know, like that. But God is there, 
and he is working for our supreme good. And we have a history of that, thousands of years of God working for our supreme good. And so we see here in verse 1 of that chapter, there was a certain man from Ramatham, a Sufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite, and I don't know why they gave us all that history. But uh, we just know his name was Elkanah. Okay? And anytime you see a, a name in the Bible that has the letters E-L in it, you know it has something to do with a relationship with God. And so uh, here Elkanah's name meant God has possessed. Let me see if I can work this thing. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we'll get there. I'll come back to that. Okay, now God has possessed. And in other words, God was very much in his life, and he was a very good man. And we can see this as we read here. We can see that he was a very religious person. We can see that he was a, a very faithful person to God. He went to worship every year. You know, they didn't have a church in their local community, and they didn't have a synagogue in their local community. And so they had to go up to, uh, uh, to the tabernacle and worship there. And so every year he wanted to be sure that he went. And he not only went himself, he wanted to take his family. This is one of the things that's very important. You know, so often I sometimes see parents that will send their children to church, but the parents don't take their children to church. And there's a difference. And the children notice that difference. Though they notice how we react to God and what our relationship is to God. And here with Elkanah, he took his family with him because he wanted to be there with God and he wanted his children and his wives to see that this was an important relationship with him, to him. And so he, he went, he's a very religious person, and he not only took that, but he took offerings as well. He didn't go empty-handed to God. But he wanted to go and have his uh, worship relationship, but he also wanted to take an offering. Give something back to God. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings you've given me. Thank you, God, for being God. Thank you for your faithfulness. And so he took these offerings back and, and gave them to him. And then it says, one of the things that's interesting, I, I, I see this in the Bible, and, uh, and it just shows that uh, people are not perfect. People are not perfect because... It also says that uh, Elkanah had two wives. Now, uh, you know, uh, as I said, people are not, uh, not perfect. The Bible does not approve of this. We see Abraham that had his wife, uh, Sarah, and then took his handmaiden as well. We see others that, uh, uh, you know, uh, J Jacob had uh, married Leah when he meant to marry Rachel, but through a trickery situation, he ended up marrying the older sister, Leah, and so he had two wives, Leah and then her sister Rachel. And we have Elkanah here. We have a story of David had several wives. We have the story of Solomon and several wives. But the Bible never approves of that. So it isn't a matter of having two wives, having four wives or whatever, but it, polygamy in itself is, usually causes problems, and the Bible doesn't approve of it. And we see all these examples. In fact, Actually, if we look back in God's plan, back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, and he brought Adam and Eve together. 
He says, the two, the man and the woman, the two shall become one. He didn't say the three shall become one. He said the two shall become one. And that was God's plan. And when we get away from God's plan, we're going to have trouble. And that's exactly what we see here in the family of Elkanah. He had his, his wife, Hannah, and he also had a second wife, uh, however you pronounce her name there, Penina or whatever. And, but the th problem was the second wife seemed to be rather, uh, her character was rather shrewish. You know, she liked to needle Hannah a little bit, you know, and yeah, I got children, you don't have children, huh? <laughs> type thing. And, uh, and so, so, you know, I, I, I'm better, you know, and, and uh, our husband loves me because I've got children. And so Hannah thinks, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and going through this and type thing. So Hannah had a problem. Hannah had a problem. But let's go back a little bit. Before we get into Hannah's problem, let's go back to that first verse we had there. It says, blessed is the person who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, Hannah was being tested. Hannah was being tested. She was getting this ridicule from this other wife. And she was heartbroken because she could not get a child, her husband or a child of the family there. And she was embarrassed as well because of that very fact. And, and so, but she persevered. She persevered. And a lot of times, we too can go through problems and difficulties and troubles and trials. And the, what we need to be sure of is perseverance. Trusting that God is looking out for our good. Trusting that God is going to work through that problem and bring something good out of it. And we keep praying for, to God. Praying for his leadership. Praying for his guidance. And so... This is exactly what Hannah did. And so we see here, isn't Hannah's name, isn't that beautiful? Her name means grace or favor. Grace or favor of God. And then her, her, the second wife, her name, whoa, very fitting name, Troubler is what her name is. And then, of course, Samuel asked of God. That son that was given to Hannah, Samuel asked of God. But uh, Hannah's problem, the uh, she, problems are, are not always uh, caused by sin or disobedience. So sometimes we, we don't need to beat ourselves up because we're experiencing a problem. It's not necessarily that we have sinned or we've been disobeyed God that we're experiencing difficulties in our life. But they, those problems can be used by the Lord to strengthen us, be used by the Lord to make us more faithful, be used by the Lord to bring us closer to Him. And that's what we see in Hannah's life. God can work through the tragedy. In John chapter 9, verse 3, there was a man that was born blind, been blind all of his life. And so people asked uh, Jesus and asked his disciples, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind, so did his parents sin? Is that why he was born blind? And they had the idea that anytime somebody experienced problems, then it must be because they've done something wrong, so God's punishing them. But that's not true. That's not true. We can experience problems, and God works through those to make us better people and more close to Him. We look back in the Old Testament. Joseph, 
Joseph was a young man, a teenager, and he was kidnapped by his older brothers, and he was sold into slavery, and he was in prison, and then he was accused, falsely accused, uh, of trying to assault a lady. What hope did Joseph have? I mean, talk about experiencing problems. He hadn't done anything wrong. But God worked through all of that to strengthen Joseph and make him into the leader that God wanted him to be. And so that he rose up to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph finally said to his brothers when they came asking for food and asking for grain, he says, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And those problems that we have, that's what it is. God can work through that, that he meant it for good. So her name, Hannah, grace and favor. You know, one of the things about Hannah, she was cons is widely considered by most theologians to be one of the most religious ladies in the Old Testament. And no other lady in the Bible, no other lady is mentioned as going, or in the Old Testament is mentioned as going up to the house of the Lord. Talks about Hannah going up to the house of the Lord, but no other lady, even though uh, her the second wife probably went with the family, but apparently had a different spirit, a different attitude about it. But it does mention Hannah going up to the house of the Lord, talking about how religious and how pious that she was. Hannah is the only woman that is shown making a vow to the Lord and then fulfilling that vow. So we're beginning to see what kind of character she has. Hannah is the only one that is uh, mentioned is specifically said to pray in the Bible. Now we have some other prayers, that's true. But it, it specifically talks about Hannah praying here. And her prayer is among the longest recorded prayers in the Old Testament. There was something special about this lady. There was something special about her. Her prayer includes 18 times she mentions God's name. 18 times most by any lady in the Bible 18 times she talks to God God, God, God calls him there and yet she had no children as, as religious as she was yet she had no children she was in that society she was considered a failure you know sometimes I, I have to I have to live with that uh, they, uh, you know I work with a lot of people who do uh, religious work, and uh, we go to seminars sometimes together. And this person over here stand up and say, you know, God blessed us, and we've got 18, 20 churches started over here. And this guy over here stands up and says, oh, I started 40 or 50. And I, David's up, hey, yo, really? <laughs> and I'm feeling like a failure, you know? I'm feeling like a failure. And this is Hannah. She had no children. She was feeling like a failure. And, and because in that society, children were a status symbol. Well, there's something of a status symbol today. We like to brag on our children, no. Uh, but in that society especially, it was considered to be a status symbol. And so the fact that she was barren was a social embarrassment. And she was desperate. And uh, even Sarah, you know, the Abraham's wife, she was barren also. Didn't have children until she was 90 years old. So in desperation, Sarah said, here, take my handmaiden. You know, and, and of course that caused trouble. And we're living with the same, that, the trouble Sarah caused right there, we're living with it today because the majority of this country traced their lineage back to the handmaiden's son, Ishmael. And we're living with the trouble that Sarah caused 
by pushing her handmaiden off the Abraham. And so we need to look for God's solution to the problems, not our solution. So Hannah there, she was teased, she was provoked by the other wife who had multiple children. And she shared her husband. Hannah had to share her husband with a lady, another wife, who ridiculed Hannah. That's bad, isn't it? Have to live in the house with another wife, but then to have the other wife just constantly ridicule you. That's bad. That's hard. So in verse 7, we see here in verse 7, we see that Hannah cried and she lost her appetite. Verse 8, we see she became depressed. Verse 15, we see she was discouraged. Elizabeth, uh, you know, is not just Sarah, Abraham's wife, who's 90 years old, and she had children. We look in the New Testament, and we see John the Baptist, the parents of John the Baptist, Elizabeth and, and uh, Zechariah. They were very old as well and thought they'd never have children, and then God blessed them. And it was the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Those people, Sarah and Elizabeth and Zechariah, were very righteous. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments. They had obedience from the heart. And so, we, again, what we see is the problems are not always caused by sin and disobedience, but they can be used by the Lord to glorify his name as we continue to be faithful. And God can work through this tragedy. So Hannah was this, it says here, her name, a, a godly lady of worth. A godly lady of worth. Now, what does it mean? Let's see here. I having trouble keeping There we go. One, it talks about, uh, it says, uh, Proverbs tells us that a, worth, uh, a worthy woman is the crown of her husband. Now, if we were to sort of paraphrase this, we'd say that a, uh, a godly woman makes her husband look good. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Uh, you know, just to paraphrase there. Uh, I mean, you know, so, so often my wife makes me look good, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate it. And so, that, but that's what it's saying. Godly, a worthy woman is the crown of her husband. And then it says, a gracious woman. Gather its favor. Obtain its favor. And then 14, one says, every wise woman builds up her house. And so this is important. Not just as, as wives, not just as mothers, but as fathers as well. We need to be careful to build up our house because the children are watching us. The children are watching us. And if we're not being faithful to God. If, if we're only coming to church on Sunday and we live like the devil Monday through Saturday, the children see it. Okay? They see it. They see how we react to the traffic out here on this highway. Are you acting godly? They see how we act when we have to pay taxes. They see how we act when we have to do other things. And so, but it, a wise parent builds up their house, builds up their children. You know, John Wesley, he was a very famous theologian in England, traveled to America as well. And he says, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. You imagine it. Pastor Craig and I both had the opportunity to study in seminary. Very well educated, very smart professors. And, and sometimes, I mean, I, I almost. Uh, I have to, you have to be careful when you have these, these good men of God teaching you and you think, wow, I just, you almost put them up on a pedestal themselves. And, and, uh, 
And, and yet, uh, John, John uh, Wesley, he, he said, I learned more from my mother about God than I did from any professor at the seminary, any theologian like that. And so they can't learn from us as parents. So this idea of Hannah being worthy, she was a noble character, she had virtue, she was strong, she was capable, she was diligent, excellent, had a, a strength of character, pious, prudent, looks well to the ways of her household, makes conscience, very conscious of her duties, and then she can bear crosses. You know, we talk, we have, each of us have our cross to bear and you have to take it up daily. And she could bear her cross in that sense. But she was experiencing this big problem. You know, almost everybody has problems. If we went around the room, all of us could take turns. You know, oh, here's my problem, here's my problem. Oh yeah, here's my problem. All of us have problems. All of us have problems. They, that's part of life. But Hannah did not lose faith. She did not lose faith. She did not give up. She took her problems to the Lord. You know, what are our problems? You know, sometimes our problem, people have problems with their spouses, that's true. Sometimes problem, people have problems with their children, that's true. Lift it to the Lord. Sometimes people have problems with their bosses and where they work. Lift it to the Lord. Take it to Him. She did not give up. She took her problems to the Lord and her trust demonstrates the Lord's power to bless the tenacious, the risk-taking faith. You see, that is what it takes, risk-taking faith. You know, we, we have problems. Uh, just, you know, one of the problems in the church today is the church, most of the people in the church are not telling other people about Jesus Christ. You know that? Did I sip on your toes? Did you say, ouch? Yeah. That is true. That's the problem in the church today. One of the biggest problems is that the people in the church come on Sunday or Saturday night or whenever your church meets. But then they don't take that Christianity. They don't take those lessons out into the community with them the following week. That's a problem. And so we need to take and, and let a risk, risk-taking faith that we can say, if God wants me to speak to somebody else, he's going to give me the power to do it. If God wants me to be a, a, a Christian person in front of a, a family that I work with that's not Christian, then I'm going to have the power and the faith to do it. We need to have that risk-taking faith. Consequently, Hannah, with her faith and her her. Uh, prayer, she ended up as a mother, a parent that influenced history beyond her imagination or beyond even her understanding at that time. She changed the history of Israel. You see, true power is found not in one's position in society, but in one's posture in God. That's right. Where are we with God? And then we have power when we're with him in that sense. So we have Hannah's prayer. She had the problem there. And now we see Hannah's prayer. Verse 9. Verse 9, we see she's pouring out. She finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was. They had gone up there on their yearly trip 
to worship. And Hannah stood up and uh, uh, went in to pray. And in verse 10, in bitterness of soul, she wept and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow to the Lord in verse 11. God, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, not forget your servant, but give me a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she poured out her complaint and her plea to the Lord from the pain of her heart, from her, you know, from her, sincerely, she prayed that way. Her loving husband could not solve her problems as much as he wanted to. He couldn't do, help her. She was in deep anguish. She was in sorrow, crying bitterly and in despair. You know, there's a, a passage here. I don't think I've got it on my PowerPoint. Let's see here. No, I don't have it. Okay. Yeah, I do. There you go. Psalm 126. Psalm 126. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Who are you praying for? What are you praying about? Have you done, I mean, absolutely so bothered, so disturbed, so much in anguish, you go to the Lord in prayer, praying for that. Praying for that. I heard a story of a young lady one time, praying for her son. Her son had already grown up. Her son was into some not activities that were very ungodly. The lady was faithful, always going to church here and there. But one, son, one time her son came in at night. He heard his mother. And he looked in there and there she was, down on her knees, crying, calling out his name to the Lord. He changed his heart. He changed his heart. And this is God's promise. This is God's promise. When we call out to Him, He can work. When we call out to Him, He can move and make a difference. So verse 8, so we cannot keep others. You know, Eli came to her and thought she was drunk. You know, they, she, was, she was so emotional. He thought she was drunk. And, and we can't stop other people from criticizing us. But we can choose how we react. And Hannah took it to the Lord. Rather than dwell upon our problems, we can enjoy the, the loving relationship that God has given us. And thereby, we exchange self-pity. You know, sometimes people like to just sort of sit in a bathtub with self-pity, you know, and, and just bathe in self-pity. But instead of all of that self-pity, we can take, exchange that for hope. In verse 11 here, she talks about the Lord, God Almighty, she calls upon Him. And this is the first person in the Bible to use that name, the Lord, God Almighty. Hannah was the first person in the Bible to use that name. She was not trying to bargain with God. She was not trying to talar with God, as to say here in Malaysia. She was not trying to say, you know, you do this and I'll do that. That's not the type of thing she's saying. She was just honestly pouring out her heart to God. And we need to be Careful what we promise God because God expects us to keep it, our promise. And so she was pouring out her heart to the Lord. And then finally, Eli, the priest, saw her sincerity, saw how bothered she was, and he blessed her and said, May God grant you your request. She got up from there and she had peace. She had peace. You know, one of the things, I, I, a story I read about China one time, one part of China, 
missionary. This was uh, maybe 100 years ago. A missionary had gone to that particular part of China, that people group, and uh, he prayed over that people group, and circumstances required that he had to leave. I don't know what the problems were then. I don't know if they had visas 100 years ago or what. But anyway, he had, he had to leave. He prayed. He had prayed over that group. And, and that's the only time he had the opportunity to do that. Sometime later, sometime later, another person came in, into that people group. That had, nobody had known about Jesus Christ. But somehow, after that prayer, God had opened the door. And those people begin to hear about Jesus Christ and begin to change. And the person who followed that first missionary found thousands of that people group that had turned to the Lord through a prayer there, through a prayer there that she had. That man left with peace, knowing that he had prayed for that people group. Hannah rose up from the altar there knowing, with peace, knowing she had prayed for that son and prayed to God. She was no longer sad. She, the Bible tells us she regained her appetite. She went out and she ate. And then in verse 19, look in verse 19. The Lord answered her prayer. They, early the next morning they rose, they worshipped, and then went back to their house at Ramah. Her husband lay with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord answered her prayer. Verse 20, she gave birth to a son and called him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. Ask of the Lord is his name. Now, not all of our prayers are answered in the same way. I'm sure Brother Craig has explained to you. Sometimes God says no to our prayers because our prayers are not in accordance to his will. Sometimes God says, you need to wait a while longer before that, you know, the time is right, and then I'll answer that prayer. But then sometimes God answers the prayer more immediately. And with Hannah, he did answer the prayer more immediately that way. So what do we, can we learn from it? One of the things we need to learn from it is that parents need to pray for their children and need to lift them up to the Lord. My son is now 38 years old. 38 years old, I think. I, boy, that's a bad father, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 38 years old. Our daughter's 34 years old. I still pray for our children. And now I'm praying for our grandchildren. God's blessed us with five grandchildren. Praying for them. Parents need to pray for the Lord. And prayer opens the way for God to work. And we might feel like we're ineffective. We may feel like, you know, we're lacking as parents. We might feel like we don't have all the answers as parents, but we can pray. We may feel like we're not worthy. We may feel sometimes incapable. Sometimes, in other, not just with our children, but in our ministries and whatever we're doing, sometimes our work is barren. And, and we don't see many results. But we can pray. We can pray. And God can answer. And so we see here that God gave Hannah a son, Samuel. And she, she uh, was grateful for that. She had made this vow that he, she, uh, no razor would touch his head. That's a Nazarite vow 
which means that he is set aside for the Lord. We see a couple of other Nazarites in the Bible. Uh, Samson was a, a Nazarite. No razor was to touch his head because he was set aside for the Lord. And once his hair was cut, he no longer had his power. John the Baptist in the New Testament was a, a, a lived at the, and fulfilled a Nazarite vow. But here we see Samuel, and she had made this vow for him. So apparently, uh, you know, uh, we, she was ready and willing. God had answered her prayer, and she was ready and willing and prepared to give back to the Lord. And so she went with her husband after the son was three to four years old and was ready to uh, be weaned or able to be away from his mother. And she took him with her up there to leave him at the time at the temple, at the tabernacle. You know, we, we need to be ready to sacrifice and give to the Lord. God doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. One of the things I hear sometimes is in churches, well, pastor, I just don't have it that I can give to the offering. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is no place in the Bible that God asks you to give something if your pocket is empty. There's no place in the Bible that says you are to give something you don't have. But the Bible says when God gives it to you, then you give a portion of it back to Him. And that's all the offering is. God already gives you something, and so you give it back to Him. So you give an offering. You say, you, you know, they, this, you can't say, I cannot give it. Because God has given it to you. And this is what happened to Hannah. God gave her the son. And she was not willing to give just 10% of the offering. She was willing to give everything back to him. Great sacrifice there. And her husband, you know, fortunately, we don't have to give bulls or sheep or pigeons anymore. But uh, the Lord is grateful that, you know, we just give a part of the salary that he blesses us with, and we give that back to him. And his, his church runs on that. But in verse 11, I will give my son back to you, she says. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. In other words, uh, you know, I, she didn't give Samuel to God and then say, okay, now God, I'm taking him back with me. No. When we give something to God, we give it to God. You know, I, I've seen people say, well, well, Pastor, I'll I'll give the church so much, but uh, I would like to stipulate the church uses it for this and uses it for that. No, wait a minute, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're giving it to God. We're giving it to God. Okay? When I was a, a, a child, my dad was a leader in the church, and the offering plate passed, and, and I put in some coins, and then I realized you know, I could use part of that money to go buy some candles. So I asked Dad, I said, Dad, you know, maybe I need some of that back. Yeah. yeah. Dad said, no. You give it to the Lord. It's the Lord's. You don't take it back. You don't take it back. And that's why Hannah's attitude was. She gave her son to him. said, here, God, he is dedicated to you. His hair will not be cut. That's the Nazarite vow. And they, they included uh, not just not cutting the hair, but he's dedicating and consecrating him 
Uh, he did not drink any wine or fruit of the vine in any way. And then avoidance of contact with any dead body that's part of the Nazarite vow. But she discovered that the greatest joy in a child is giving that child back to God. Isn't that something? You know, uh, somebody asked me, what, last night, I was, in a, I was in a fellowship last night, and somebody asked me, what was one of the greatest things that the church in Malaysia could do differently? And one of the things I see here is in the church in Malaysia is that many parents are not willing to allow their children to serve the Lord. Oh, my son's going to go study law. My son's going to go study engineering. My daughter's going to go be a doctor. Well, if my child could only serve the Lord, the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, what more honor can our family have that God would call our children to serve Him? You know, I could, I could brag about being my child being an engineer. I could brag about that. I could brag about my child being a doctor. That's nice. But what pride can we have? Good pride. Sometimes pride's bad. The good pride that we could have when we say, my child serves the Lord. And we need to be ready to surrender. We need to be ready to give them to God. And say, here, Lord, I'm not taking them back. He's yours. She's yours. Use them, Lord, for your glory. She discovered the greatest joy was giving that child back to God. She had not forgotten her vow. She had not forgotten her promise to God. She was doing what God wanted her to do, to take care of her child. Isn't that something? The best thing she could do to take care of her child was to give him to God. Her husband supported her and encouraged her. Verse 23, you can see that. Look in your Bible there, verse 23. Elkanah supported her and encouraged her and gave special offerings that they could give as they handed Samuel over to Eli. And she fulfilled her promise. She had to give up what she wanted the most. Lord, just give me a child. Give me a son, God, is what she prayed. She prayed so when she wept about it. She cried and she... The priest thought she was drunk. She was that emotional about it. And that thing that she wanted the most, she had to give up to God. And she surrendered it. She fulfilled her promise. Because a child is from God, the Bible tells us that the God knits them together in the mother's womb. That child is from God. And Hannah was only returning that child to God. That was not easy. That was not easy at all. They gave three bulls. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The bulls are expensive. You know, cattle are expensive. And, and so her husband took up three bulls to give us an offering. They took a, a measure of flour. The ephah in your Bible there, it talks about it, is about approximately 20 to 21 liters of flour or seed that they gave. And then they gave wine much more than was required because they wanted to say thank you Lord much more than was required let me ask you something what you give to God does it cost you very much 
What you give to God, does it cost you very much or are you just giving a little bit? Here, Lord, here's a ring it. Or does what you give to God really meaningful to you and thereby meaningful to God? What about your life? Are you willing to give your life? What's more meaningful to us than our own life? But are we willing to give our life to God? Now that doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or a missionary or anybody, something like that. But are you willing to give your life to God? Say, here, God, use me however you want anyway. You use me. I'm giving myself to you to obey you and to follow you. And so Hannah's son, you see her Hannah's son. Uh, when, you know, parents live out that genuine love and service to the Lord, their children will learn from their examples. What are your children learning from you? When your children watch you, what are they learning from you? And they learn from our examples. We need to be careful about that. This child here, Samuel, asked of God, was giving back to him. Samuel became the last of the judges in the Old Testament, and then the uh, relationship transitioned, and he was one of early Israel's earliest prophets in the, in the Bible. It was Samuel that God used to anoint the first two kings that Israel had, both Saul and then later David. It was Samuel that successfully influenced Israel's foundation of faith and their ideas into this new system of government and such. Samuel is very influential there. Following the example of his mother, his father, trusting in God, faithful to God, obeying God, and seeing that they were willing to give whatever it took what the most valuable thing they had. They gave it to God. They could see that his parents were devoted. You see that they went up and sacrificed annually. But again, the question is, this morning, we celebrate Mother's Day. Next month, June actually, we celebrate, uh, yeah, next month, we celebrate Father's Day. Here in Malaysia, they sometimes just call it, combine it, call it Parents' Day. And that's okay. But what kind of example are we setting for our children? Can they follow us and know God? That's what's important. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here with these brothers and sisters. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we can come and we can look at your word and consider your word for us today. We thank you, Lord, that you challenge us to be faithful and to trust in you. We thank the Lord that you answer prayer. And Father, we just pray today that each person here, especially the parents here today, Lord, would make a commitment, a personal, private commitment to you, Lord, that they're going to be more obedient to you and they're going to follow you and they're going to do what you want them to do. Help us all, Lord, as parents, that we would raise our children up in the knowledge of you and would release them to serve you and to be what you want them to be. Our Heavenly Father today, 
we pray, Lord, that it would be for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.